fellowship with God. You're, you're physically alive. You're moving, you're breathing, you're doing things. But spiritually, you have no connection with God. When Eve was foolishly conversing with Satan, he gradually turned her thinking about the forbidden fruit by first pretending to be friendly, then questioning God's honesty, and finally telling her that God lied about dying if she ate the fruit of the tree that God had warned her about. He said, you will certainly not die. Talk about a bold lie. But by then, Eve's heart was set on that fruit. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is continuing his series of lessons from Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of man. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the Pevensey kids were guests of a relative, and Lucy discovered the world of Narnia inside a wardrobe. Her older siblings didn't believe her, and when Edmund found it too, rather than support his little sister, he lied. And he said that he was just pretending. Well, when they told their elderly and wise relative about it, he asked, who's the one who is usually truthful? Lucy came the reply, and Edmund is the one we can't trust. The old fellow rolled his eyes and wondered what the schools must be teaching if the older ones were taking the word of the known liar above that of the one who was honest. Hmm. Well, mankind's been doing that on a grand scale, believing the father of lies rather than the one who cannot lie. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. God is faithful when you are tempted, when you are tempted to discard the word of God and put in place your own rationalization, the wisdom of this world, your own thinking, you need to remember that God is faithful. And you and I are tempted every day to abandon the word of God, not to deny the orthodoxy of the scriptures being inspired and infallible and inerrant, but the absolute truth that God can be trusted in all areas, that what he says in his word, he, he means and he knows what he's talking about. Eve needed to make a choice just as, as we do. And uh, when we're tempted to not believe God's word. You see, Eve had never experienced death. All she knew was what God said about it. But you know what? That's all she needed. That's all she needed. And that's all we need. But she wasn't content with God's revelation. She wanted to be her own authority. She wanted her eyes open. She wanted, it says in verse 6, it was, it was pride. It was She wanted to be wise. It says in verse 6, and I'll go back over this, but when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she wanted that wisdom. She wanted knowledge of good and evil. In other words, she set aside divine revelation for her own feelings and her mind, and they became the final authority, and she wanted to be like God. And, and keep in mind this, Eve would never have done this had she not opened the door for doubt. She didn't just jump to this. There's usually not, you don't usually fall into sin. You kind of slide into it. It's a process. Had she not first entertained doubt, she would have never been in this situation. So let me just clarify something here. Is it, is it wrong to always doubt? I don't think so. Not if the doubt is a legitimate intellectual struggle that you still submit to the Lord. You still have an attitude of, Lord, I don't understand this, and I'm struggling here, but I believe you. I, I just help my, my doubts now. I think that's legitimate. But people who throw off the scriptures and deny the authority of the word of God usually are not in that kind of situation. In fact, they're not in that situation. They do it because they don't want God's authority over them. 
They really don't want God's authority over them. There is something else working in their hearts. And I'd like you to keep your place in Genesis, but look all the way in the back of your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me show you something that I saw several years ago that really uh, helped me to understand about unbelief and denying the word of God and why there are so many in our culture who would come across as, as intellectually sophisticated and uh, academically high who deny the word of God. It is not simply, uh, it's not really an intellectual issue. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he's talking here about mockers. He's talking about those who mock the word of God. And he says, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Now, these are not people who simply deny the scripture. They mock, they ridicule. But notice this, why do they mock? Well, there's a little statement at the end of verse 3 that I think explains a lot following after their own lusts. They follow after their own lusts. There is something here. In other words, they have desires that that they don't want the restraints of the word of God on their desires. They have lusts and desires that they want to throw off the shackles of the word of God and do their own thing. In a uh, book by uh, Richard Dehan, his little commentary on studies in Second Peter, which is excellent, he writes this, A statement by Aldous Huxley, widely read and famous atheist of this century, confirms this point. Late in his life, he freely admitted that his dislike for the scriptures and his derisive attacks upon the Christian faith stemmed from his desire to be free to sin. His objections were not philosophical or theological, for his underlying intent was to escape feelings of guilt. He wrote this, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning, consequently assumed that it had not and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning for this world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of pure metaphysics. He's also concerned to prove there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. That's from Aldous Huxley's book, Ends and Means. And that's where Eve was. That's what Eve was being tempted to do, and eventually she did fall into that. She didn't want the word of God over her. She put her own authority. So at one level, we want to look at that's the principle. Be very, very careful about that subtlety of Satan that the word of God is not sufficient to tell you how to live, and we can deny it. There's a second level of Satan's denial of God's word, And that is the actual denial itself. You shall not die. You surely shall not die. In the Hebrew language, this is emphatic. It can be translated this way. You will positively not die. I mean, Satan was not mincing words here. He said, you will positively not die. And you know what? Some people have wondered about this. Some people have wondered if Satan wasn't correct because Adam and Eve, we know, ate and they didn't drop dead that day. So the thinking is, well, I guess Satan was right. But no, he was absolutely wrong. They did die. They did die. They died spiritually that day. They absolutely died spiritually that day. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is when no longer are you in fellowship with God. You're you're physically alive. You're moving. You're breathing. You're doing things. But spiritually, you have no connection with God. You have no fellowship. There is no relationship. You are separated from God. And and that's why I can recall before I came to know Christ as uh, an 18-year-old freshman at the University of South Florida, uh, thinking God is so far from me, I wonder why. He's so aloof. I know why now. 
because of my sins, I was separated from him. That's why God seems so remote. He was remote. He was remote, but it wasn't his fault. It was my fault because of sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, nobody puts it any better than the Apostle Paul of, of what humanity is. The people that, um, that, that you live next to, the people that you work with, the people who don't know Jesus Christ, this is their condition. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says, this is the way you were. You lived, you breathed, you were alive physically, but you were dead spiritually, just like everybody is now who doesn't know Christ. Among them, he said, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That, folks, is humanity. The day that Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they did die. They did die spiritually. And if God didn't intervene when they died physically, they would pass on to a Christless eternity and they would be dead for all of eternity for there is no second chance. But it's also true that on the day that they ate of the forbidden fruit, their bodies began to die physically. The process started. So they didn't die physically that day, but that's not what God intended to uh, convey anyway. But the process started. Their bodies continued to function, but death and decay would set in. Now, let me let me ask you a, a question which I think is legitimate. Does state, Satan still perpetuate this lie today about no death, and let's take it a step further, no judgment? Certainly he perpetuates the lie that there's no judgment. No judgment. But how about the thought that there is no death? Now, you may think, well, that'd be absurd. Nobody would buy into that. I want to suggest that millions of people have bought into that. Even with all the evidence around us, cemeteries, hospitals, uh, tragedies, would anybody still believe that there is no death? Sure. Sure, it's called reincarnation. Reincarnation. Oh, you die, but you come back. So there's nothing really to fear about death. Do you realize that millions of people in the East, I mean millions, you may be protected from this, but millions believe that. And millions in the West also believe that. In fact, that is New Age thinking. New Age thinking is just old Satanism. That's all it is. Reincarnation is the belief that while your your present body will die, you continue to live in another body somewhere on earth. In the next life, you get to come back as someone else in your quest for perfection, bettering yourself in each cycle of life. This is why when you go to India, you don't want to hit a cow on the road. Because, hey, that's pretty high in the cycle. That's pretty high in, in the cycle. You hit a cow and, the per, and the, that person got to start all over again. That is what the belief is. Now, this is why that actress, the actress Shirley MacLaine, teaches that death does not exist and it's not to be feared. In fact, Shirley MacLaine says that in previous lives, she was a princess in Atlantis. An Inca in Peru, my favorite is this. She said she was, as a child, raised by elephants. I think that's a real stretch. Elephants, you know, where she came up with that one, I don't know. But apparently some believe her. Someone said this, reincarnation is the devil's lie made believable. It is a clever deception remade for popular consumption. Now, you and I may not think that that is really as popular as, uh, as these words say. They are, because many of us were raised, even if we weren't Christians, we were raised in the Judeo-Christian ethic. Forget that. That does not exist in our country or in the world anymore. 
Certainly not in the world and, and really not in our country apart from some pockets. And then there's, there are those who say, well, sure, death happens, but it's nothing to be feared because judgment is really not something you need to be concerned about. And where are we hearing this? From all of these out-of-body experiences. Hey, there are even Christians telling us they died, they went to heaven, everything's fine. But there are others who say that they uh, were, were, in a, were in surgery and they had an out-of-body experience. And you know what? It's just beautiful. There's peace and a warm feeling. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And they wanted to stay, but God sent them back. And now they don't fear death anymore. Hey, these are people who ought to fear death. These are people who are deceived by demons. And so many people today don't fear death when they ought to fear death because of reincarnation, out-of-body experiences, and other things. See, the devil's old lie is still with us today. He says, you will certainly not die, and millions perish and go to hell believing that. Now, as we turn our thoughts back to Genesis 3, and Satan's conversation with Eve. The devil has told Eve that God lied to her. That's what he said. God's lied to you. Yeah, he said this, but it's not true. But the question would be, well, why would God possibly do that? What what motives would he have? What ulterior motives would be there? Well, Satan had a reason for this, why God would lie. Why? Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, the fruit of the tree that God forbids you to eat from isn't bad for you. It isn't bad. He said it was bad. It's not bad for you. The real reason that God told you not to eat is because God is jealous. God's jealous of you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's keeping it all to himself. He doesn't want your eyes to be open to all kinds of wisdom and knowledge that only he has. That's what he's saying. God wants to keep you dumb and ignorant. He knows that the day that you eat, you're going to be like him. And you know what's so horrible about this is that this is the precise, this this wicked ambition that Satan is tempting Eve with is precisely the very wicked ambition that was in his heart, to be like God, to be like God. This is the same tactic that he uses on people today. Exactly the same tactic. They are not content with God's word, his revelation. They want to acquire knowledge firsthand to be enlightened to the point of being like God. And be like God. This is what drives most of mankind. We seek to build a utopia on earth and even in outer space. We want to conquer those uh, those places We rely on education, enlightened religion, computer information, and psychiatry to create a better environment than we have. A new world, a world, watch this, a world without God. Why do you need God when you're just as smart? You don't need God. Why do you need his word when you have this enlightenment? And folks, that is the world we live in. It is a world without God. You see, if you are like God in your wisdom and your knowledge, then you don't need him. You don't need him or his word anymore. And that's where Satan really, really tempts us in this world, to replace God and his word with our enlightened minds. Once you buy into that, you can throw the word of God away. You don't need God or his word. You are a God. You are a God. And hey, this is where our world is. This is where it's moving in the tribulation. Uh, The world is going to worship the Antichrist and, and probably say he is the God of gods. We're like God. And you know what? 
He's the greatest of us. And they're going to worship him. Enlightened thinking. Be very careful about that. So think about this for a moment, because New Age thinking today tell us that the fall of man was a fall upward. Do you realize that? New Age thinking says that it was a fall upward. In fact, they actually teach that the serpent and the woman are the redeemers of mankind because their actions brought about man's enlightenment. They like this. Mankind now has special knowledge that he did not have prior to the fall. So how do we respond to this? It is true that Adam and Eve acquired knowledge. And I'm going to just reiterate this and go a little bit deeper of what I said a few minutes ago. It is true that Adam and Eve acquired knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. But that didn't make them like God. That enlightenment was not godly enlightenment. This was, and this still is, a horrible kind of knowledge for a person without Christ. Why is it so horrible? Listen to this. I, I quote from John Whitcomb in his commentary on this. For knowing what is good... They are unable to do it. And knowing evil, they are unable to resist it. Let me say that again. Knowing, knowing what is good, they are unable to do it as sinners. And knowing evil, they are unable to resist it. That, folks, is total depravity. Total depravity. And that is total frustration. Total frustration. Francis Schaeffer illustrates what kind of a horrible knowledge this is. And I, I quote, from Francis Schaeffer, he said, it is the knowledge of a child whose mother says, don't go near that fire because if you do, you will get hurt. You will catch fire and be burned. But the little child goes on in disobedience. He falls into the fire and spends the next three days dying in agony. Now, the child has learned something that it wouldn't have known experientially if it had listened to the knowledge given by its mother. But what a knowledge. Yes, he's learned something. He's been enlightened. Would he have been just as enlightened before? Had he listened to his mother? Yes, absolutely. Just wouldn't have experienced the horrors of that agony. The fall of mankind was not a fall upward. It was a horrible plunge downward. Horrible plunge. He has fallen. And all the wisdom, you see, all, all that Eve all that Eve had, the wisdom and enlightenment uh, from God's word, that's all she needed. That's all she needed. She didn't need anything more. But now she was about to acquire experiential knowledge. Once again, Francis Schaeffer says this, she already knows from the voice of God that in the day you eat, you will die. She can have experiential knowledge, but that knowledge is no truer knowledge than the knowledge from God, and the result is that whole human race is now in agony. You see the difference? It, she, she didn't learn anything new. She, could have know, she would have known the truth. She did know the truth, but now she experienced it as a sinner. So what's Eve going to do? Satan has cast doubt in her mind over God's word and his goodness, and he has denied the truthfulness of God's word, his integrity. In other words, he's pulled the word of God from her. And once that goes, you are vulnerable. You're just vulnerable. She's now going to make a decision, but it's a decision that's not based on the, on the word. It's a decision now, and the most important decision she will ever make. But it's a decision that, unfortunately, tragically, she bases on her own feelings and her own thinking. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit 
and 8. I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to go into her husband yet. I'm going to stop right there. Instead of making a decision, the sermon's not stopped, by the way, just where we're looking at, so don't close your minds. Instead of making a decision based on the objective truth of God's word, she simply went with her heart. You hear that today. I I just went with my heart. You know what? Her heart was wrong. She went with her heart, and her heart was absolutely wrong. She looked at it, and it was good for food. You know what? It, it, It looked appealing. It appealed to her appetite. Physically, it looked good. She went back to the garden, or she went to the center of the garden. She looked at it. She gazed at it, and that fruit looked really good. It was a delight to the eyes. It not only looked good to eat, but it looked good aesthetically. It's a good-looking piece of fruit. And uh, it appealed to her emotions. She thought that's really nice to see. It also appealed to her mind. It was desirable to make one wise. And you know what? In Eve's sin, there is a pattern. There is a pattern here about temptation. I'd like you to turn all the way to the back of your Bibles again to 1 John chapter 2. And stay there for a moment. Just stay there for a moment. 1 John chapter 2. I believe when John makes the statement, these verses, he is referring precisely to what took place in the Garden of Eden. First John, even though he doesn't mention Eve at this point, but First John chapter 2, we break in at verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, and watch this, is this not the Garden of Eden? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now, now just keep your place here for a moment, because I want to look at this. The lust of the flesh. Eve went to the center of the garden. As I said, she looked around. It appealed to her. She tasted. The lust of the eyes. What Eve saw appealed to her emotionally. Looked good. The pride of life. Eve wanted to gain knowledge and since she no longer feared death or punishment, because Satan said, the day that you eat, you're not going to die, the fear was taken away, she ate. She took the fruit and she, and she ate. And notice, notice that there is the thought here about Satan. This is precisely the thought, because we're going to look, how do you defeat Satan in your life when these temptations come to you? Notice verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. That is, you know God in a very intimate, personal way. I have written to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you. And what? You have overcome the evil one. They overcame him by the word of God. Eve could not do that because she put aside the word of God for her own thoughts. Now this brings us to a very important Point Because you look at it and you go, so what? Now I know all about this, but what do I do with this? How do we keep from falling like Eve did? Because this is a pattern. This is a pattern. We want to do what we want to do. Our heart says, do this. Our physical appetites tell us to do something. Our desires, our emotional satisfaction, the pride of life, all of these things are pulling at us. How do we keep from falling like Eve when we are tempted concerning bodily appetites, emotional desires, and pride? Remember that old picture of a bear scratching his back on a tree? The text said, if it feels good, do it. Well, that seems to be the human compulsion ever since Eve had her little chat with the deceiver. By and large, we don't suffer from temptation. We enjoy it. Uh, That doesn't end well, though, does it? We'll see that part of the situation in the next verse by verse. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
Discover more about Lakeside online at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. You can catch up on previous broadcasts in this series on the fall of man or any other programs at versebyverseradio.org. Click the message archive link and browse to or search for the file that you want to hear. And there's a giving link, too, if the Lord has blessed you through these programs and you'd like to help us continue airing them. Thanks for praying and for giving. Come back next time as we consider the example Jesus set in facing temptation. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. If we see this world through our own eyes, we'll be riddled with fear and doubt. But if we see things as God does, we can live with power, security, purpose, and hope. That's the promise of Romans 8.28. And it's the focus of Dr. David Jeremiah's Making Sense of It All.